This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. And next, next Sunday evening, obviously, Reverend Supiwe and Um Stephen will be here Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Okay, shake somebody next to you and say, why are you smiling like that? Okay, tonight we're finishing a series, so if you've been bunking church, then just hang on, catch up. For those of you who don't know, especially if, if you've gone over holidays, we live stream all this stuff, but you can watch it later on Facebook. So tonight is the third part of a three-part series, obviously not a four-part series, but a three-part series on the Lordship of Christ. And so I'm going to quickly recap in three minutes what we've been doing the last two weeks, and then we're going to jump straight into it. Okay, so firstly we looked at the difference between knowing Jesus as Savior and knowing Him as Lord. Lord means His Master, He's the one who is in control. Savior is normally there, I have all the benefits, I'm going to heaven, I'm a nice Christian, but many times a consumer Christian. Many times somebody that just wants to receive um, and, and sort of like, hey, I'm a good person, I'm doing stuff, I'm going to church, I'm, I'm nice. But Lordship is when you suddenly begin to move into a different type of relationship with your father and with Jesus, uh, because now suddenly he is, is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The second thing we looked at is that many times people become familiar with God, meaning that we think we have the right to just buddy God and that cool dude up there and come, you know, Jesus came to serve with me and, and then, 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 then every morning, whatever you do. But, you know, where we sort of, we sort of have an expectation of God that is, isn't always like, uh, reverential and respectful and therefore the third thing we looked at is the fear of God what does it mean to have the fear of God in your life uh, because the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom the fear of God is what keeps us focused on yes that God's motivation is love he loves me he loves me he loves me but he's also holy his character is holiness more than what it is love so we looked at that then we went on to this whole issue of control, that there's a battle for you, for me, for this world as to who is in control. And that battle came right from the beginning. And uh, when Adam and Eve was tempted in the garden because um, they handed Satan the rulership, the certain parts of authority um, when they chose of the wrong tree. And um, so that's what Satan desires, and that's what sin is, is sin is giving something control over your life, and you end up missing the will of God, and eventually it becomes idolatry, where you start to worship something above God. And obviously, nothing we know, nothing can satisfy us, nothing can be sufficient in your life, can really sort of give you an identity except God. Because God made you, he's the one who wrote the manual, he's the one in control of your life. But there's a battle for control. And then last week we started looking at how do I break ungodly control over my life? Because the world is trying to impose certain things over your life. The world is trying to tell you, hey, be this person or be successful or go and change the world. Or And sometimes we just put like a 
Christianese onto it, you know. Um, before we came to know Christ, we said, I want to be ex- successful. And then after we get to know Christ, sometimes we say, I want to be accept- ex- successful for Jesus. <laughs> but, you know, we, we can't just add stuff. <laughs> and now we looked at how do I break the hold of control over me as a person so that I can be free to worship Him. And we looked at six things is firstly to surrender and to trust to the will of God. We need to deal with unforgiveness because forgiveness gives somebody else control over our lives. Somebody has a hold over your life. We looked at the power to serve where Jesus said, well, some people lord it over us, but not in the kingdom. In the kingdom we serve. And by serving, you break control. You break certain stuff over your own life. The habits of sin. And then we looked at godly interdependent relationships, how God wants us to live in a community. There's no one man, no one woman that can make it on your own. You have not been designed to do it like that. God has called us into family. And for many of you, you maybe don't have a natural family anymore, but there's a spiritual family. Amen? And that's how the church should look like, not just a group of people that come together to have a great event, but people that really take care of each other. People that look out for each other. Interdependent relationships. Then we looked at fasting. Fasting is a spiritual thing. It's sometimes not just of food, but of TV, television, all of that stuff. Isaiah 58 talks about that, that we can break the yokes of bondage over our lives, over other people's lives by sometimes naturally abstaining from things, but it's very, very spiritual when we fast. I remember there was a lady when I was studying... And um, she came and she looked so cheerful while we were doing like a quite a long fast. And, um, and I thought like, wow, you know, because she thought she can just drink uh, all types of liquid. So I was thinking like, wow, she looks like she's really going for it, you know. And I'm feeling like, oh, Lord, help me, <laughs> you know, just like make it through the days and counting the days and the hours. But eventually after a certain number of days, I found out that she was just liquidizing all her steak all her food. She just thought like fasting is just liquidizing everything, you know. Um, and so she took all the burgers and she liquidized the burgers and the chips and she was just like going for it, you know. Um, but then I realized like fasting is actually abstaining from some stuff, not just changing the form, you know, and making it like it looks in your stom- stomach in any way. Um, everything mixed. But in any case, the chips normally floats on top. Okay. The bread apparently goes down. Okay, but so, and then we looked at God's authority, and we're going to look a bit up onto that or about that tonight. And um, the sixth thing that we looked and we started on is obedience and surrender, and that's where we're going to jump into tonight. So, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that there are so many people all across the world standing up and declaring Jesus as Lord of their lives, and that's what we're doing tonight. You have overcome. You have overcome. And we want to thank you, God, that we can be part of a body, of a bride that is making herself ready for your return. And in our hearts and in our desire is Jesus, come soon. Come, Lord, come. Lord, what a wretched, miserable world we live in. But there's only one that can satisfy us, and that's you. And that's what we declare tonight. Lord, shape us, mold us, make us into the image of Christ. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here. You've already started to work change in people's lives, breaking heaviness. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our families, and in our nation. 
In Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. So obedience and surrender. Now I spoke about obedience this morning. That's why you need to come to the morning service sometimes as well. So I'm not going to focus on that too much, but I'm going to just highlight some scriptures. Romans 6 verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Now Romans is probably the best book on salvation, the themes of, the, of salvation, where it talks about justification and righteousness and identification and propitiation all the Iations and all this stuff. So if you want to study a book on doctrine, the best book probably is the book of Romans. And so in the middle of this, he he sort of starts talking about this righteousness and he talks about obedience in the context of righteousness. And then he says, you must know, you know, later on, let me just say this in Romans 12, he says, you know, you know, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12 verse 2. But he says, I beseech you, brethren, verse 1, that you present yourself as living sacrifices to God, holy, acceptable to him. So there's, a, there's this underlying theme of every day you present yourself to this world, to God, to people around you, you know, and some, some of us become masters at presenting something who we're not. That's what the world is like. Hey, how was last night? No, you know, it was crazy. It was amazing. I only vomited five times in the pub, you know, and I didn't know where I ended up, but it was crazy. Nothing like, sure. And that's not what people say. They just say, it was crazy, it was amazing, we partied last night. And you think like, but you vomited all over yourself, you know. So, but we want to present something to the world. And so the writer says here, every day you're going to present yourself either to sin and be obedient to that and it's going to lead to death, or you're going to present yourself as a righteous child of God. And so, as we progressing as the church of Jesus Christ, you and I must know that there's, there's two things that really please God. And the one is obedience and the other one is faith. So even when you come to church tonight, don't say, oh, my God, that little short man up there, you know, his jokes isn't even funny, but that's so cool. Let's just go on. Oh, that was a nice sermon. Four out of ten, six out of ten, da, da, da. And then you walk out here and you forget everything that was said. But as we are ministering the word, the Holy Spirit will highlight something to everybody. And it's so important that when you go out here, you don't just rush into your week. You actually go and spend time. You go write down stuff and you say, okay, Lord, what are you highlighting to me as an individual? And what are you highlighting to us as a church? Because I want to be an obedient worshiper. Because obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And when you and I become obedient, we begin to learn what it means to walk in the authority of God. So firstly, your obedience or authority doesn't determine who you are because we are children of God based on what Christ has done. We see that in the life of Jesus. The Father says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm well pleased with you. I love you. I'm pleased with you before you've done anything profound or amazing. He stops the world do you know the Father spoke three times audibly to Jesus while he was on earth and especially in his ministry? And the first one was at his baptism. Wow, we, we baptized like seven people this morning. I mean, it's so lacquer when people are obedient. And most of them were over the age of 40. Lacquer. 
in the Afrikaans service. Lekker, lekker. Let's give God a round of applause. Amen. Because we should celebrate obedience. And, and that's amazing when people say, hey, that's what the word says. I'm going to do it. And so, so when we, when we submit ourselves to that lifestyle of obedience, we're thinking like, not just what's the set of rules of stuff I must do, but I'm walking in obedience because of a heart's condition of whom I want to please. Because if I trust God and I know that God has got the best for me, then I want to be obedient. Because it's like, wow, he's not going to ask me something that, that he doesn't know the end result of. <laughs> but many times you and I will not see the end result of obedience. The world works a bit different. Listen to this. Our love for God is not defined by feelings, words, emotions, experience, or intentions, but by our motives, actions, and obedience to Christ. Sorry, people. That is how God measures your love towards Him. Not by what you sang tonight, but what, by what you do when you walk out those doors. He says, I'm going to tell you how much I love you, but you know how I measure your love towards me? That's not God. It's by the fruit of your life. And sorry, that's all he's coming for. <laughs> he's coming to look for fruit. No, you know, but that's not the modern day gospel. He loves me. Da, 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 you know? And then he's just like, we sing all these nice songs, but it must flow into something else. I'm not belittling experience. But the Bible says, if you are a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, you are deceived. And he says, I want you to walk in obedience. I want you to be an obedient child so that, you know what, it's, that's how I made you. <laughs> that's how I made you. I'm, I've made you for that, not to be a spoil sport. Obedience means to do what is right, even if we do not personally benefit or if we are put to a disadvantage when we obey. We think that obedience is always like, if I obe I'm obedient, then what's going to happen is, shoo, the Lord is just going to reward me. But maybe that reward is going to be eternal. Maybe you're not going to find that reward here. Maybe you're not going to see that reward. Maybe your children's children is going to see that reward. Listen to Jesus in John 4, verse 34. The disciple says, Jesus... Let's sit down, eat lunch. It's been a long day. We went to fetch food. You've just ministered to this Samaritan woman. We don't really understand what's happening here. The woman at the well. So, so they come and Jesus says, it's four, don't say four months until the harvest. And then he, in the middle of this, he makes this statement. My food is to do the will of my father who sent me and to finish his work. See what priority Christ has put on doing the will of God. Now we're not talking about performance tonight. We're not talking about doing a set of rules to become a good person. Because maybe, and I said it this morning, maybe you are called to be a domestic worker. And we have some domestic workers in church. And that's amazing. You're not less valuable than somebody else that has got like 10 degrees and 10 stuff next to his name. But if, amen, that's a good place to say amen. Because your value is determined by what Christ says about you, not by what you do. We live, unfortunately, in a town by what everything is like, what, what are you, who are you? Um, I'm studying this and this and this and this. Oh, I'm doing that and that and that. Oh, how many times have you been overseas in the last five years? 
Our ski holiday in Italy wasn't that nice. The Swedish Alps is much better. Oh, but when I phoned Obama the other day, he was like, you know, and then we just like do, you know. And then you think like, names dropping, you know. But people, our value is not determined by that. And we should never find significance in what we do. But what you do is unto God. And so if you are a domestic worker, be the best domestic worker. Do it as worship. These scriptures that are written to slaves. Philemon, Philemon was for the free state people. Philemon, okay? For the West Coast people, yeah? But the amazing thing is, it says, you know, Paul writes and sometimes and he says, like, be the best slave ever. And you think, like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Hasn't Christ set us all free? Now, I'm not promoting slavery, I mean. <laughs> oh, the pastor said, that's show for people. <laughs> Let's go into slavery, into like, you know. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what he's saying. I wish I had time to just explain the context. But, but when you're doing something, then be obedient. Because it's a worship, it's part of following God. It's to do the will. It's like food that you eat every day. Jesus said, that's, that's more than food, is to do God's will in my life. To please Him. Not because it's burdensome. Listen to this in 1 Peter 4 verse 2. It says, therefore since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Arm yourself with the same mind. It's like you're putting on weapons weaponry, you must have a way of thinking. For he has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. The book of Corinthians, for instance, is written towards a group of charismatic believers, people that believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's called the book of order. And he says to the people in Corinth, he says, guys, you are an amazing church. You're doing all the gifts. You're great. You're following God so passionately. But you know what? I wanted to give you meat, but I can only give you milk. Because you're carnal Christians. You haven't learned to control your flesh. And here Peter writes about the same thing. It's called (laughs) self-control. It's called the ability to say no sometimes to stuff that you know is going to destroy you. So where does the Lordship of Christ start? Right there. Take your finger, don't point it, just go like this, zoo, 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 zoo. It's where we yield control in our body, because even our body doesn't belong to ourselves. You can't do with that body what you want to do. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, so when, when we get to this place of yielding control, it's, it's not so that we just like, oh, stop sinning, stop sinning, stop sinning. It's just say yes to what God wants in your life. Say yes to the call of God on your life because you're missing certain things if you always go back to those old habits. It's what has God got for you. It's your purpose. It's our purpose together. That's why we need self-control. And that's why the fruits of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22, is not given. 
It's not a gift. Ooh, those words. Let me just, just, just wait a moment. Let's just, let's just think about some of these words. Love, mm? joy, mm, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, joy, <laughs> peace, peace. I'm not promoting karma, just peace. And then we stop because then there's some other words. They come to mind, but they go out of my mind very quickly. Patience, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> and they not given. Do you know how patience is grown? How you become patient? You get into a situation where you need patience. <laughs> Do you know how you get long-suffering? You suffer long. <laughs> Do you know how you learn kindness? There's somebody that comes into your life that is not kind. And then you have the ability to release something that you don't feel you have. Now the Lord is regularly testing me. This is a confession just between the two of us. Because there's a lot of you that get married, and that's great. And it's what a privilege to conduct weddings. But then, every week after that wedding, I make an appointment with eternal affairs. I mean, internal affairs. They do stuff eternally minded. They're very biblical. And then I sit for four hours in a row. And my patience is tested. My long-suffering is released. And I sit and I have to bless others. And I sit and I wait. Have you ever seen, when you go to the mall, ladies, young ladies, just check this out. You see some of the old men sitting in front of those televisions? They've been sitting there for a decade. <laughs> They're decomposing already. Because some of us don't like shopping. Amen? Anybody in the house? Oh, yeah. All the men. There's some ladies that putting up... Yeah, okay, just all those ladies that don't like shopping, put up your hand, put up... Oh, yeah, lots of it. Yeah, yeah. Just go like this and say, throw material, throw material, okay? But in any case, so... Nothing against shopping or not shopping, but hallelujah. Have you, have you heard those... These spirits in the malls, they say... Buy me, buy me, buy me. And they say it very quickly. Buy me, buy me, buy me, buy me. Then it seems, sounds like a song, but it's actually buy me, buy me, buy me. They indoctrinate you when you walk in there. And then you smell the spur and you smell the burgers and you smell everything. And you go like, we come in. <laughs> and then you see those ladies in front of those racks. Ee, 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 and they're just like, they're checking everything out. But they're going like for decades. There's hypnotism in the mall. I'm only joking, I'm only joking. Okay, but, but so God will set you up with some, some places where everything inside of you wants to, you want to manifest certain stuff that you don't have, and then it says long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, self-control. In the scripture, Hebrews 5, it says, Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. 
I think it's Hebrews 5 verse 8. Can somebody check it before there's false heresy in the church? Hebrews 5 verse 8, I think. Jesus learned obedience. It's one of the few things scripture said Jesus had to learn. You need to be taught obedience, and especially in this world that we live in. How many of you have seen the ladies' final? Auntie Serena tennis final last week. Now, I'm not going to judge anybody, but what you saw happening there is what's happening in the world. And it's very ugly. Let's forget about identity politics. Let's forget about women's rights or politics or any stuff like that. Let's just keep it very simple. And I would say this morning, there was the number one tennis player in the world manifesting anything but the fruit of the Spirit towards a referee that looked so ugly. It was a black lady, and there was another black lady playing also in the final, so it wasn't about any of that stuff. In such a way that the New York crowd just screamed at how angry they got because rights have been violated. But I just make it very simple. If I drove, drive over the stop street without stopping, and the traffic guy stops me and says, I'm going to give you a fine, because you didn't stop at the stop street, you transgressed a law, then you know what's going to happen? I can say, I didn't feel like stopping. I didn't feel like stopping. I sang a song this morning. Don't stop me now. Then that traffic guy is going to say, sorry, dude. I don't care who you are. You were wrong. If you transgressed a law, you were wrong. But today, there isn't wrong and right anymore. There isn't laws because how do you feel about it? And that's called the lawless spirit. And Jesus said that will be the Antichrist spirit. That will be the spirit that will come into the world. Not in a person, but it's already here. Where everybody take a law unto themselves. That was one of the first scriptures we read in this series. Because Jesus says, you can even say, Lord, Lord, but then depart from me. You do not know me. You practice lawlessness. But let's get to some good news. John 14 verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you, you believes in me, the works that I do, you will do also. And greater works than these you will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. What a promise. Jesus said greater works will his church do than what he has done. Cast out demons, raise the dead, heal the sick. Serpents will come, bite you, but nothing will go wrong. Greater works. I must go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you and greater works will you do than what I've done. Do we really believe that? Do you believe that what you read in Scripture is true? Do you believe that when Jesus said it, he actually meant it? But why is the church then so powerless? Because we're compromising the basics. Because we want to live by feeling and emotions and not by truth and not by what he says. If you make the standard of Jesus your highest priority of the word, and I'm not talking about perfection, 
I'm just talking about a willing heart to be obedient. See what he's going to do in your life. Listen to this. 1 John 5, verse 3 to 5. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Now, you may try to want to do it the modern day, like, yeah, yeah, no, no. But Jesus, you don't actually speak in commandments anymore. Said who? Every word is the word commandment. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. The other day I read in the Old Testament the ten suggestions of God. Let's just, let's just, that word commandment is a bit like, how can God speak in commands? He speaks in suggestions. But if somebody, if a general of an army or a king walks in and he speaks in a commandment, and this is a tough one, do you think that general of the army is open to suggestions when you're on the battlefield? So it's a part of our relationship with God. And yes, sometimes he says, love, I love you, I love you, I love you, I'm proud of you. He does that all the time. But sometimes he walks and he says, church, now you're an army. Church, rise up. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Burdensome. It's amazing. He says, it's, it's not weighing you down. He's never going to put something or ask something or tell you to do something that is burdensome. That's like amazing. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. How many of you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Come on. And he says, what overcomes this world is our faith. He says, whoever is born of God, if you are born again yet tonight, I've got good news for you. Not based on what you've done or what you should do, but based on what Jesus has done, you have overcome this world. And specifically referring to the sin and the habits and the influence and the control that this world wants to have over you. You're free from that. Whoever is born of God has overcome this world. And this is the victory is when you and I step out in faith, when you and I sometimes like do stuff and we think like, oh, you know. And I told the church this morning, but you know, there was this one guy that just responded every week, every week he came to the front and later on people just said, hey, shoo, 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 that's too much. You know, don't, you are saved. Don't come every week. But today this guy is an evangelist. I just told him, come. If you want to come, come. Don't worry what people say. Just come. Respond. Learn to be obedient. And he would come. And today he's just preaching. Because he was just practicing for all the people that would come to salvation at his altar calls. For three years. And I say, hallelujah. But you know, the first thing we do is like, oh, become a professional Christian. I love what Reinhard Bunker says. I wish it was my own quote. Then I could have like, he says, dignity is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Dignity is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Hello, Pastor Gerard. Pastor Gerard, come here. Come quickly, I want to greet you here, that the people know. Come stand here, Pastor Gerard. Pastor G. Come stand here, because we love you so much. If you didn't know, I just want to introduce you. This is Pastor Gerard. He's one of your pastors. He's the pastor of our Clutusville congregation, and we love him very much. 
And he got saved how many years ago there in the Dev Malan Hall? 18 years. They would, he, he and his company would help to clean the Kutzenberg Center. And then one night he got saved there. And 18 years later, now he's the pastor of the Shofar Church in Clutisville. And they're doing amazing work. Pray for them. There's lots of gangsterism. Lots of stuff there. But God is given a man and some of his people sitting there next to him. But in any case, that's got nothing to do with nothing. We just wanted to honor you and bless you. Whatever has been born of God has overcome this world. Turn to your neighbor and say, whatever is born of God has overcome this world. Whew, now we're going to pick up some speed. It's still holiday, amen? Okay, how many of you give me an extra 15 minutes? Just raise your hand. 15, 30, 45, 50, 50. That always works with all the new people, okay? So I've got three hours. Just from this block, I've got another three hours. Hallelujah. So, so now, as you become obedient, what begins to happen is you begin to learn the authority. God begins to teach you what it means to operate in authority. Because when you're a young Christian, what begins to happen is every time you have a crisis, you just want to run to the small group leader, you want to run to the pastor, you want to say, like, you think like the pastor's prayer is much more like authoritative, but not necessarily. We need fellowship and we need people, but then God wants to take you on this road where you need to learn to say like, hey, wake up, there's a spiritual realm and when you become obedient, when you just follow God, sometimes things are going to happen. It's like friends of ours that plant church in a different way in the Middle East. They would pray for three, three years and then all they go in and then for three weeks they'll spend in a hotel place and the Lord would tell them, give them a word of knowledge and say, at that specific day, at that specific time, what's going to happen, there's going to be a man at a telephone booth and that is going to be your pastor of that city. They have prayed for three years, three weeks of fasting, sitting in the hotel room. They go to that telephone booth with a, that's not a couple of years ago, there isn't telephone booths anymore, with a packet of all the videos, all the cassettes, training, give it to that person and say, do you know Jesus? No, I don't. Okay, you've been searching for Jesus. Yes. Can I lead you to Jesus? Yes, I've been looking for him. He told me to come here. Great. Can I introduce you to him? Then he leads that person to Christ, or the group leads that person to Christ, and they say, two years from now, we'll see you here again. There's all the tools, all you have, go and plant the church. And two years later, that guy's got a church of over 3,000 people meeting him there again. So, some people operate in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. God is doing amazing stuff. In China, some of those churches, they don't tell you where you're going to meet on the Sunday. I've told the story before. We were in the northern parts of, of Beijing and we went to a worship service. And so we got a couple of hours to, to get up there because they would like break up the group so that nobody would see and the secret police won't follow you. I think that was in 2003 going up and I think like, wow, this church has got like amazing, amazing soundproof stuff. And as we walked in, probably about 400 people. That's just like one big small group of that church that is about, I think there are about 3 million people in that congregation, all lying on their faces, 
worshipping God for three hours and not saying a word. Because they've discovered that worship isn't what you sing. It's what you present. It's who you present yourself to. Worship really hasn't got a lot with the songs that we sing or the experiences. And then suddenly, you know, they begin to pray and say, but you're not allowed to pray before Thursday. Only Thursday and Friday you're allowed to pray because somewhere between Friday 5 p.m. and Sunday 12 p.m. you're going to have church. But you don't know where and you don't know what time. And you must get a word of knowledge from the Lord where church will be on Sunday. So everybody hears from the Lord. Sure. That's how some churches operate. No, that's like scary. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, next Sunday, we're not meeting here and we're not telling you where we're meeting. (laughs) We're not trying to be like the church in China, but people, God is doing amazing stuff. But we've become lazy. We've become consumeristic. We've become comfortable Christians. I've had the privilege of being in Iran and lots of places, but there's one place in Egypt. I remember this this guy we met. We said, okay, will you please pray for us? Or I first asked him, what can we pray for the church in Egypt? What can we do? Can we bring teams? He says, please, don't, don't bring teams from the West. Because you will just dilute the gospel. I said, what, what can we pray for you for the church in Egypt? He said, Pray that the church in Egypt will embrace its season of martyrdom that is coming. And then the conference was is how to stand strong in times of persecution. I wonder how many Western Christians would come. How to stand strong in times of persecution. But God is inviting us. And that's why Luke 9 verse 1, when you talk about the authority of God, He called 12. He sent them out in Luke 10 verse 17 to 19. We, we spoke about that last week. Okay, two more slides. Three more slides. Are you ready to go? And Luke 7 is probably the guy, the story, and I'm just paraphrasing, of this Roman centurion. He was not a Jew. And he, and he comes for his servant, not for himself, for his servant. And he sends a message to Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to come. And then he says, I'm not worthy that you come, but Jesus, you just speak the word. You just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. Because I'm a man under authority. And because I understand how things work, I want you to speak. And then the Bible says there's only a couple of times where Jesus marveled. He marveled at the faith of that centurion guy. He says, I've not even found in Israel a guy who's got so much faith because he understands not just who I am, but the life of authority I've given him. Jesus, just speak the word. Jesus, just speak the word. Go read it, Luke Luke chapter 7, verse 6 onwards, that whole story. And that brings me to the last slide. A word that we don't know in our modern language anymore because... It's probably the one thing flowing from a place of humility that Jesus wanted to show the church. And the cross is that ultimate place of surrender. That ultimate place of surrendering to the will of God. Starting in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. 
Lord, not the way I see it, but maybe the way you see it. Lord, even if this cup can pass for me, just like... And here in Matthew 5, it, when he stands and he, when he teaches us on all the amazing attributes, he says something that sort of unlocks one of the keys of, I believe, the end-time church. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's like a horse that has been broken in. This horse can have all the willpower, all the strength, but if that strength isn't under control and focused to serve the master alone, that strength, that passion, that stuff can be destructible. We've seen that in the world. We've seen that with Hitler's. We've seen that with people rising up. So much power, but there's no control. It's not yielded to the higher master, to the Lordship of Christ. So true meekness is always measured by Christ's meekness, his humility, patience, and total submission of his own will to the will of the Father exemplifies meekness. It's the example of ultimate power under control. He said it. He says, I can call down all the angels right now here on on this cross. (laughs) You're not taking my life. I'm giving my life. But what I'm going to do is like, I'm going to yield to him because I trust him. Even when they say bad stuff. Even when they do this, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And so the Lordship of Christ always flows into meekness. You'll see this where people like Stephen that are even martyred would stand up and see Jesus standing up when he's being stoned. You'll see it when Paul and Silas stands in the prison and most of us would like, it's like, oh Lord, take me out of this prison. I shouldn't be in this prison. I'm a Christian. And all they do is they just start to worship. The prison doors open up. <laughs> I would have said like, run forest. Polly, 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 let's go. Polly, let's go for this, you know. Let's get out of here. He's delivered to us. Na, 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 na. Okay. I've got the victory. Wow, wow, wow. You know? But then they realize it's much more than just their own freedom. So the prison doors open up. And they realize there's a prison warden. There's some other people and they preach the gospel and they lead them to Christ. Because then you realize ultimate freedom isn't about just what God has come to do for me. It's about glorifying Christ in the world out there and showing them there's real freedom. And that's so amazing. (laughs) When people come and they speak bad things about us as Christians or bad things about the church, rejoice. Bless them. Bless your enemies. Be patient. There's another scripture that says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. (laughs) Because God is reflecting the character of Christ. And as we become obedient, our obedience forms and shapes the character of Christ so that the world looks and says, Wow, why are those people, how do do they love each other so much? How do they like, sure, because the rest of the world is going crazy. They're all emotional, all entitled to stuff. And all we're doing is we like, taking our title and we're throwing it at, the, at God and we say, God, I'm no more entitled because I've got a Lord that I trust, that I love, that loves me and I want to do His will. And then we give Him the title, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And you know what's going to happen? Whether you do it now or whether you do it one day, every knee, is going to do this. 
every knee, every king, every president, every minister, every person of importance, every slave, every person on the street, living on the streets, everybody will do this one thing. Bow their knees and say the following. You are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And some will do it willingly because they've been doing it all their life. And others will do it out of great fear, out of great trembling. The Bible says that day there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. A weeping and a gnashing of teeth. I actually saw a video clip the other day. I think Yopi sent it to me. <laughs> Yopi sent you something. It's always like, cool. But this pastor, this is just an ad break because some of you are getting very tense. It's getting very hot in here. But So this pastor is preaching. He says, oh, there'll be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth on that final day. And then there's this lady sitting. This old lady. She's got no teeth. And she smiles. And then the pastor points at her and says, and even those of us that hasn't got any teeth, God will give you a spare set of teeth on that day. (laughs) And then she goes, and she frowns, you know. But Bug Yopi's got that one. But in any case, it's got nothing to do with nothing. But that day, God's heart is for everybody to respond. They say, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. And he's not coming back for a bride that is defeated, discouraged, in the mud. He's coming back for a bride that has overcome. Overcome sin, learned self-control, learned the character of Christ, learned the identity of Christ. And that's why your purpose in life is to become Christ-like. Your purpose in life isn't to do great things for God. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Discipleship is mainly about taking on the character of Christ, following Jesus, becoming like Jesus. And when you do that, signs and wonders are in any case going to follow you. Will you stand with me tonight? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.